Lecture 13, The Sacrifice of Isaac. The Hebrew of this story is exquisite, emotional, and troubling. Scholars have referred to it as one of the peaks of ancient narrative, according to Robert Alter. Soren Kierkegaard and other great theologians have spent their lives pondering the theology behind this disturbing story. What kind of a god asks a man to kill his son? The Hebrew is like poetry. God says, take your son, your only one whom you love. The Hebrew moves to the climax of love. A classic midrash, extra-biblical narrative by Rashi, digs deeper into Abraham's response to God's reference to Isaac. Your son, he said to him. Abraham responded, I have two sons. God said to him, your only one. He said, This one is an only one to his mother, and this one is an only one to his mother. He said to him, Whom you love. Abraham said to him, I love both of them. God said to him, Isaac. What does God mean, your only one? Abraham did have two sons, after all. Some scholars have pointed out to the pointed to the alternative meaning of the Hebrew word yadid, translating it as favored one. But Alter thinks this skirts the issue. Isaac is the only son of Abraham's legitimate wife, Sarah. Isaac is the heir, and for the Israelites, there is only one. It is a cruel reference, almost as if God had already killed off Abraham's other son, Ishmael. God instructs, go forth to the land of Moriah and offer him up as a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I shall say to you. Tradition has it that this kind of Moriah, and especially the reference to a mountain, this land of Moriah, refers to Jerusalem. Muslims' Dome of the Rock on the pinnacle of the hill of Jerusalem is the site where they believe that the sacrifice occurred. However, they believe that this was Ishmael, not Isaac who was offered up as a sacrifice. Ishmael is the beloved son in their understanding. This Jerusalem is the site of two great sacrifices, the sacrifice of the son of Abraham, which was interrupted by God, and the sacrifice of the son of God, which was not interrupted, but would be redeemed. Jerusalem is the locust of bloodshed, incomparable suffering, and also redemption. Such is the city of God, fallen in this world and yet destined to be redeemed in the next. The narrative is this in this story in Genesis 22 repeats the words his son and his father over and over again, stressing the intimate nature of this relationship, the most sacred of all human relationships, for it is in the birth of a son that a man of that time could hope for life after his own death. In a sense, by offering to sacrifice his son, Abraham was killing off his own life, his seed, his offspring. It was worse than suicide. After the horrible command, the Hebrew becomes very specific and almost wooden in its detail. Abraham rises early, takes two boys with him, saddles his donkey, and in a foretaste of the horrible act to come, splits wood with an axe for the fire. Then they set off. It takes them three days to reach the site of the sacrifice. 
three becomes a holy and mysterious number in all of Scripture, but I can't help wondering what the heck they talked about for three days of walking. How could Abraham stand it? How could he not say anything? How could he possibly say anything? He must have been terrified, or perhaps just numb and in shock. Have you ever had to go somewhere that you didn't want to go? Have you gone on a journey to a destination that you dreaded? I cannot imagine the pain of each step on this journey. Was Abraham waiting for God to just cry out, Just kidding! You can go home now! Was Abraham beyond all thought, beyond comprehension, in some kind of state of numbness and exhaustion and just putting one foot in front of the other? And Isaac. At this point, Isaac had no idea what was going on. As far as he knew, his old father was taking him on a trip, and that was exciting, perhaps. He was separated from his mother fairly quickly and probably without much explanation, for Abraham does not seem to be overly conversant. Was Isaac happy? Could he sense his father's turmoil? Was he engaging in some imaginary games on the way to make the time pass, all of the above? Perhaps Abraham brought these two slave boys to play with Isaac and distract him. Maybe they were friends in the way that young boys often are, engaging in all manner of mischief and games. Why else would Abraham have brought the boys except to lead the donkey or to play with Isaac? And why two of them and not just one? I think Abraham was trying to distract his son and give him some playmates on the journey. When they reach Mount Moriah, Abraham instructs the other two slave boys to remain with the donkey while he and his son walk ahead and worship and return to you. He lies to the boys, indicating that both he and his son will return. Did he believe that God would intervene? Was that what he was hoping for? It's unclear. Again, minute detail is given to Abraham's next actions, almost as if it is a crime scene and everything is to be noted. Abraham puts the wood on Isaac, his son. Did he tie the wood to Isaac? It is a strange use of words. And Abraham takes in his hand the fire and the cleaver. How do you take fire in your hand? I imagine he had some kind of stick with fire on the end, like a torch. And biblical scholars claim that this instrument was not just a knife, but a cleaver designed for butchery. Words like slaughter will be used. Again, a heartbreaking detail is added into the narrative just to make our hearts hurt more. And the two of them went together. Within these few words lies the unexpressed intimacy of a father and son who truly connect who travel life together. Abraham sets out alone for Ur of the Chaldeans as the sole male in charge of an entourage. Here, Abraham finally walks beside someone, his own son, and he is to cut this very son down in a moment, leaving himself alone with God once more. Then a conversation ensues, and we hear the voice of the child Isaac for the first time. He cries out, just like children do, Father! And Abraham responds with the words that he uses to express his obedience to God, words that later prophets like the great prophet Isaiah will use. Here I am. And then he adds the painful words, My son. And Isaac asks, with utmost innocence, Here is the fire and the wood. But where is the sheep for the offering? 
Isaac has been to a sacrifice before. He has seen the sheep slaughtered, its blood running out over the stones and onto the ground. Isaac knows the drill, but he is rightfully confused about the details. His question has such great innocence and naivete, it's heartbreaking. Abraham allays his son's anxiety and does not lie, but reassures his son that God will provide them with an offering. Even now, Abraham loves and protects his son from the truth. Like any good father, he does not lie, but he also protects his son's innocence and does not divulge the whole truth. He is protecting his son even as he plans his execution. The Hebrew text continues on, and the two of them went together. They are the ideal father and son traveling together and looking after one another, or so it seems. But there is a nightmare ahead. Once they reach the place, the Hebrew gets very detailed again. Each and every action of Abraham is recorded. First he builds an altar, then he lays the wood on top, and then he binds his son Isaac and lays his body upon the wood. It is this moment that is most heartbreaking. When Abraham ties up his son, the world must have shut down for the boy. Everything changed in that instant. The father who had loved him and protected him became an executioner. Isaac did not scream or cry or ask why, not according to the text, but instead he was silent and would not speak again until he is on his deathbed. And Abraham will never speak again. The horror of this experience seems to have silenced them both for a lifetime. Abraham takes the cleaver to slaughter his son. And just as he is about to split his son apart, Just as he split the wood, an angel, or in the Hebrew, Lord's messenger, calls out to him from the heavens and stops him from cleaving the body of his son in two. The angel calls him by name in an urgent request, Abraham, Abraham. He calls out twice for emphasis, and Abraham responds with the very same words that he used to reply to his son, here I am. Abraham is ever obedient, ever present, as we all should be. Abraham, God calls to Abraham through the voice of an angel in the same way that God calls to Hagar in the wilderness. In both instances, the angel refers to the boy as na'ar or lad, an intimate term of warmth. Hagar is told to hold her hand on the lad and spare him. Abraham is told not to reach out his hand upon the lad. For now I know that you fear God. God seems to want fear from Abraham. God wants ultimate obedience but not love. God does not mention love at all. Just as Abraham looked up and saw the mountain where he would have to sacrifice his son, so now he looks up to see a ram caught in a thicket. Just as he saw despair one moment, he sees hope the next. The implication being that if we truly trust in God, even the worst-looking circumstances can change, and God will redeem even the worst horror. So Abraham offers the ram as the burnt offering, and just like on the other parts of Genesis and so much of the Hebrew scriptures, the event of this sacrifice marks and changes the land. Abraham names the place Yahweh Yireh, which means the Lord he sees, or the Lord he will be seen. It is not clear if he refers to Abraham or to God. It is ambiguous. God once more promises descendants for Abraham, but this time God adds to the promise that of military triumph as well. 
because you have done this thing, God says. It is a thing. It is an abomination, what God has asked Abraham to do. It was not right. Did it make it right because God asked it? Questions to ponder. Do you believe that God challenges us to give up things we love? Why would God do that? And what is your gut reaction to this story?